Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's solo episode. And we are going to do a slightly different route this time. I'm going to do some travel news as normal. And then I'm going to explain my top 10 things I learned from a year-long travel trip last year. Right, let's get stuck into some travel news. And to kick off, it is travel news. The liquidation of Lynx Air. Now, Lynx Air is a low-cost carrier, or was, in Canada. And they announced they're going to cease trading on February 26th, midnight. So literally as this podcast is coming out. I used Lynx Air to get back from Calgary to Vancouver when WestJet were messing me about. So I had no problems really with them. I'll come to them in a second. But they developed 18 years ago as New Air and Tours. And then 15 years ago, they rebranded to Enerjet. And then two years ago, Lynx Air. And the main issue for going to liquidation is the financial issues. It's pretty much the standard reason for any low-cost airline. And low-cost airlines in Canada normally cease. And it's the third-party fees that make it kind of hard to compete, really. Weird fact for you is in Canada, the airports are non-for-profits. So they kind of rely on airport improvement fees to generate revenue. So that could be like extra fees on your flight or just really weird taxes. And there's one that WestJet use called the departure tax, which is collected on behalf of these airports. I think Lynx Air are struggling to compete previously because there's low-cost airlines like Play Airlines, which are Icelandic, which offer super cheap flights to Europe. Now, this is definitely the case. If you look at a flight from Vancouver to Toronto, very expensive, in my opinion, for an internal flight. For cheaper, I can just go back to Europe. So it's really hard to compete. And also, there's a few examples of other airlines kind of being absorbed into bigger airlines. So Sunwing Airlines were absorbed into WestJet last year. Swoop Airlines suffered the same fate a few days later. And Flair Airlines, which are still going in Canada, they owe $67 million in unpaid taxes to the Canada Revenue Agency. So what should you do if you've booked a Lynx Air flight and they're just literally cancelling as we speak right now? If you book with a credit card, you've got to contact them to arrange insurance as Lynx Air won't be able to assist with any financial assistance. But for international flights that have been cancelled, they should book you on another flight with a competitor. But for domestic, they don't have to. And in general, it's just a tough time for low-cost airlines. Now, I did use my insurance to claim some money back when I got my flight cancelled from WestJet um, earlier this year, and it was very successful. I think I probably forked out about $400 extra, and I got all that back. Happy days, didn't really lose anything out of that. The reason I said earlier about Lynx Air being okay is I did have a bit of trouble getting onto the flight. I got annoyed. They want me to pay extra. So low-cost airlines, you take one personal bag on with you. Um, I had a bigger bag and I checked that in, which is fine. I paid for that. But my carry-on bag was a bit bigger than what they wanted. And it's just a backpack. And what I literally done, I sort of went away, asked someone to look after my stuff, went back. It fit the carrier measurement thing got a tag went back to my seat 
got all my stuff and repacked my bag. Simple. It is a tough time for low-cost airlines in Canada. Next on my travel news is WeGo announces a partnership with the Malta Tourism Board. This is through Breaking Travel News on the website. It's the number one app, WeGo, for booking flights and hotels in the MENA region. And the MENA region is the Middle East, North Africa and South Asia regions. And it's huge in India too. And this partnership is going to provide travelers with unparalleled access to the Maltese travel industry. So there's going to be hotels, experiences, tours, hiking, all that sort of stuff. And the aim is to provide the best experiences between inspiration and exploration. WeGo users can seamlessly use the app to book and find deals in Malta, which are quite exclusive to the app. It's great news for the people in the area who are booking for Malta because they don't necessarily know much about it. It kind of gets hidden away next to Italy. So it looks like it's a great deal for the Maltese tourism boards. They're going to get a lot of travel stuff coming their way and it's going to boost their tourism industry. And last on the travel news section is the Turks and Kakos have been nominated for eight World Travel Awards this year. So I'll list them out for you. The Caribbean's leading beach destination, cruise destination, ugh, uh, destination in general, dive destination, honeymoon destination, luxury island destination, tourism board and romantic destination too. They normally win a lot of these awards every year. And if you go on Google, the images are sensational. But a bit of history and facts for you about the Turks and Caicos. I don't know much about them myself, never been. But it is a British overseas territory. And there's two main islands in the Caicos and Turks in the Lucayan archipelago. Known for being offshore financial centres so the rich can hide their wealth and not pay tax. They have a small population of just under 50,000. And most are probably in the capital called Grand Turk. Pre-colonisation, the population was made up of Arawakan-speaking Taino people who were the first to arrive there probably around AD 500 to 800. We don't know, but it was either Christopher Columbus or Juan de Leon saw the islands on their voyages in the late 15th or early 16th century. And unfortunately, as we all know, African slaves were brought to the islands in the mid-1600s. And it was a popular hideout for pirates. They have some of the most amazing coastlines, so 400 kilometres worth and about 40 islands in total. More than half of the coastline is soft sand, and there are no rivers or lakes. They have the largest above-ground caves in the Caribbean. It's actually on the Atlantic Ocean side, not the Caribbean Sea, and they use the dollar despite being a British territory, and they're home to the third largest barrier reef system in the world. I think it's a very popular site to go diving, hence one of the awards. And every year, the humpback whales migrate from the Bay of Fundy in Canada to the Dominican Republic via the Turks and Caicos. So there you go. Let's hope they win. The top 10 lessons learned from my year-long trip. Okay, let's kick off with number one is I need a home base. Now this may sound controversial to a lot of the travellers, but I think having a home base is key to medium to long-term travel. So where I'm going with this is... If you want to stop or be somewhere stable for a few weeks or months, having somewhere to go is vital. Now, I know that some people do Airbnbs or homestays to get that sort of home feel, but it's never quite the same. And if you are a creative, like a podcaster or a YouTube, you're going to need to go somewhere where you can sit down, do your work and not worry about internet, is it quiet, etc. Now, Airbnbs and hotels can get laborious and costly. That's what I learned last year. And my question is, does anyone else long to be in a home where they can do what they want, when they want, with no time constraint or rules. So I think that's where I was kind of thinking as well. And also to add to that is the health aspect. If you're just burnt out, tired or ill, 
it's nice to know you can go back home, go to your apartment or house, whatever you've got, and just chill out and sort yourself out. The last thing on this is for content creation, I do need a strong internet connection with a good working space, which is actually quite hard to find in some places around the world I went to last year. Number two is slow travel is the best way to see places. Now we traveled way too fast on our trip, as I previously mentioned, hitting over 20 countries in 12 months. I think it's 23 in total in the end. We took too many flights and if I jump border to border, it has to be by land next time. So what I mean by that is I want to arrive by plane possibly into an area of the world. And if I want to see three or four or five countries in that area, I don't want to fly. I want to go overland via land borders. It just means less air travel. You probably feel a little bit better about yourself not flying. And it's a bit more slower because you have to figure it out and plan ahead. But slow travel also means you can decide how long or short you want to stay in one place. That's a big privilege to have when you travel, because when you're on holiday, on vacation time, for example, you are bound by time. You've got to squeeze it all in. And we even felt that with a year off. So I definitely need to change my way of travel. And slow travel is also related to number one, because you can do an area for three months, go home for two months, do some stuff and then come back out somewhere else in the world and keep doing that sort of thing. So that's definitely possible in the future, but only in my eyes with a home base and then you can sort of break it up if you do slow travel you can do three days of exploring and then four days of work or whatever combination you want to do and it gives you flexibility to include certain things into travel like working or just chilling out and not doing anything there you go number three is road tripping is the ultimate freedom just a couple of things from me please head to my new website www.wingingittravelpodcast.com the link is in the show notes where you can access everything about this podcast, how to support the podcast, where to find episodes, a little bit of information about me, how to contact me, how to sponsor the podcast, how to be a guest. Everything is on there for you to take a look at. And secondly, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I've got weekly episodes coming out for all my travels for pretty much the last year and going a little bit further back. And of course, my future travels coming up in 2024. It'd be great to see you on there. It helps podcasts gain that extra bit of traction. And I'm really enjoying showing you my content I have from the last year or so. Thank you. Now, I'm going to say we absolutely loved our time driving across Canada and USA and also driving in places like Oman and Jordan. Uh, Cyprus and that too, where we had the freedom to jump in the car and drive anywhere we want to. And the idea that you can just wake up on each day not knowing what you're going to do and then decide over breakfast what you are going to do is the way to go. Now with camper vanning, I would have a bigger one so you can be self-sufficient and then you could be really off-grid if you want to go and stay in those off-grid places because you wouldn't need a toilet or shower because you have it in your van. So we'd change that up. But the options are endless with so many amazing countries with great roads like Canada, USA, UK, Australia, New Zealand, uh, European Union, anything. The roads are normally pretty good. And there's a great community of travellers out there who are campers and you can tend to find those in WhatsApp groups or Facebook groups or whatever groups to kind of get that community feel as well. So yeah, the open roads, no rules, no time constraint. Can it be beaten? Not sure. Number four, not having an income can be soul destroying. We saved years for our trip and seen all that hard earned travel budget dwindle week to week, month to month was not entirely fun. 
and we had no income really until right at the very end where I did earn a bit of stuff doing podcast work. But we would have loved to have made money on the road, but I don't think we we're in that mode before we left. I think we just needed to get out on the road and travel. I just needed a break. I was a bit burnt out from normal life, if you like. But going forward, it is a must to have an income on the road. And I don't mind working on my own stuff or even doing some contract work for any other people because that kind of relates into slow travel. But next time, an income whilst traveling gives you the ability to travel longer and slower. And if you are worried about kind of going to those expensive countries, it kind of can facilitate those costs because the income will just about take the edge off all those costs. So yeah, having an income to prolong the trip would have been great. But hey, lesson learned. Number five, podcasting and traveling combined is bloody hard. Now, providing quality content whilst traveling is very hard due to the logistics in terms of time, internet connection, the fear of missing out on traveling, tiredness. They all kind of play into making it very hard to podcast on the road. A little shout out to the Tripology guys at the minute. They're kind of doing that. And I love their content on social media and on their podcasting. They're the guys you want to check out now if you want to see how it's done. But me doing it on my own, pretty tough. And I was pretty convinced and motivated to find interviews in person which was great for the podcast, but as you probably noticed from last year's episodes, they're only in the first part of the whole travel experience really in Europe. And it's quite hard to find a person who's willing to meet up in person at the time I'm there in that city or location who can speak English and who are comfortable being recorded going out on a podcast. I managed to find three guests in Paris, Slovenia and in Venice, but somehow just didn't really work out for the rest of the trip. But on the plus side, I did get all my weekly episodes out, which was a feat given how much we we're traveling and I didn't miss anything from our travels. So I do have a little portfolio of our travels there last year. And given the stats, I think people loved it. So it may be something in the future to consider. And I think people like those small, quick snippets of your travels, but the quality of production can suffer a little bit because of that. But it's great to record your travels because it's great to look back. If you're not like a journaler like me, just speaking into a microphone and recording it is a good way to do it. And interviewing remotely is very hard um, as a final thing to say on this because you have got to mitigate the different scenarios with bagged internet connection. You've got to probably plan in advance, book that in your calendar. You're probably not going to know where you're going to be in a week or two. If you're doing weekly or bi-weekly, even extra hard. So some lessons there learned from podcasting, but I don't regret any of it. And it's a great learning experience. Number six, a deep appreciation for East Asia. I must say some of the highlights of the trip is all great. But we absolutely loved Taiwan and South Korea with its amazing culture, great lifestyle, efficient transport system and great general vibe. These places are great for everything you need or want, like walking around designated paths, <laughs> seeing nature, getting a trendy coffee, street markets, street food, no need to haggle, meeting local people as possible, clean hostels, reasonably priced. It just is a great vibe there. And I would 100% go back to any of those places in East Asia alongside Japan, which we've obviously talked about a lot on this podcast recently because it's one of my favorite places. So East Asia, yeah, love it. Number seven, train travel in Europe is king. We interrailed for a month in Europe and the train travel was efficient, great value and pretty much all smooth with no hiccups. The app for the interrail pass worked amazingly, no problems whatsoever, easy to book, easy to find times and quite easy to navigate your way around Europe if you're trying to find a route. I still find it incredible 
You can travel to three countries in one day on the train with no border crossings or visas needed, etc. in the EU. The Interact app, as I said, was awesome. The EuroRail app will be just equally as good as well if you're not from Europe. And just keep an eye on the website because we got a deal for unlimited travel for a month because they had a bit of an anniversary a few years ago. So sometimes they can give you deals, but you can get two weeks, one week, whatever you need. And it's a great way to see the countryside and nature when traveling in between countries. Number eight, traveling in the Middle East during Ramadan is totally fine. We did travel in the Middle East in places like Jordan. Uh, I traveled in Lebanon as well and bits of Oman. And you can chuck Turkey in there as well during Ramadan because obviously it's a Muslim country. And that didn't deter any of our plans whatsoever. There will be some restaurants that are closed because obviously they don't eat during the day. But if you go to the tourist areas or the touristy sites... Uh, hotels and restaurants are normally open to provide food for tourists during the day. The iftar meals in the evening are a great experience and worth doing at least once. If you don't know what that is, that is around sunset. Everyone can start eating again and they have the TV on. Uh, they get like the official confirmation through that and it kind of rings a bell and everyone goes up and smashes in some food. They're normally buffets, all you can eat and have great meat, but also vegetarian and vegan options that we found and are quite reasonably priced. And not many tourists too when you're in Ramadan. So if you want to get that cultural experience with not too many annoying tourists by your side, then travel during Ramadan is certainly an experience and we had no problems whatsoever when traveling. Number nine, we're getting there now. The cost of travel is now much more than previously thought. The cost of hotels, hostels, excursions and transport can be quite expensive now. I guess they are kind of recouping some money from the COVID times. And I guess my idea of budget travel has now changed given how much we spent and for myself seeing how much things are on a day-to-day basis. We did track everything that we bought using a budget app called Travel Spend. It was a godsend and if we didn't have that I don't know how we would have kept track of how much we're spending and where to rein it in to try and get down the average per day. We even tried staying in some low-cost countries like Nepal for longer which stay for three weeks Uh, But even that's gone up because of the cost that you need to consider for a guide. Even those sort of countries can be more expensive now than they were before. And also the Canadian dollar is not as strong as a lot of other currencies. So I think there are ways to do it better for budget than we did, like homestays, more hostily type accommodation. But just the fact that traveling in Europe and Middle East is expensive. And then on the road trip in Canada and USA, not too bad. But it can get expensive if you want to do things like going out for a meal or experience. It could be anything like that can bring the cost up. So yeah, that's kind of a big lesson learned from last year. Number 10 and the last one is a pair of Vessies, Salomon hiking boots and San UK flip-flops are all you need for footwear. Bit of a rogue one this one, but I pretty much wore my Vessies every day. They are waterproof, even vegan I think, and available to buy in Canada or online they're the same thing as all birds in the usa unbelievable shoe pretty much wore in every condition and i'm still wearing it now what a purchase that is for i think 90 canadian dollars salmon hiking boots are something that i always buy and they never let me down i first bought them in new zealand done a heck of a lot of travel and hiking in them they're actually my vessie back in the day i just wore them every day because they're comfortable i had to get a second pair whilst in canada and last year they were brilliant for hiking in the pool for example San UK flip-flops, a bit of a story here. I bought them on a whim because in Hawaii, 10 years ago now, I was hiking up <laughs> a trail with a load of stones in crappy flip-flops. Yeah, great. And then one of them broke 
at the top. So I had to walk down with one flip-flop and one barefoot on stones. Wasn't ideal. The first shop that I saw was just by Lanakai Beach. I had a load of flip-flops in there. I bought one and they have like a yoga mat type material on the soles and they are unbelievably comfortable and top-notch value. And I still have mine, which I bought, I think, five or six years ago in New Zealand. They just last forever. And they cover all bases and are flexible to pack. One advice for those three, I would say, is when you're traveling by plane, wear your hiking boots, pack your vessies because they're flexible, and put your flip-flops on top of your backpack. There you go. Some footwear advice for you. And that concludes this week's episode. A lot of lessons learned last year, and I think I will implement them into my future travels. Not going to finish with a travel joke because traveling financially is a joke at the minute because it's so expensive. But let me know your thoughts on my list of 10 and tell me yours from your trip from the last 12 months or even early this year. I would love to hear that and read what you say. And thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcasts, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you.